this was very revelatory to me. I, you know, it's, it, it's always fun when you can come across new information, especially in the form of solid teaching, some kind of lecture, TED talk or something, and, and just have your mind blown. Uh, I live for that. That's probably one of the reasons why I'm a perpetual student. But a lot of what I have been talking about since we created the Flexible Dieting Institute in trying to backtrack for you know 25 years with information and say, yes, flexibility is a big part of what we need, but we still have to have structure. You know, that was that was a literal backfilling of, of trying to synchronize everybody's thoughts around a concept. And I'm having a, a similar epiphany, kind of an ongoing uh, experience with the fact that as many times, and I'm talking daily for decades, I have talked to people about moving external goals, external needs, the stimuli of having that next bodybuilding contest, or got to lose that next pound, got to be you know 10 pounds down by July 4th, and making it more internal and intrinsic. I feel like I owe some people some apologies, because there there is a nuance to that that I have been discovering over the last few months. And, and this particular lecture that I watched this week was just an absolute just shotgun to the chest for me. Uh, and it, it is somewhat contextual, but it, it still has a lot to do with, I think, all of us. Like Even if you do not have a diagnosis of ADHD or something like that, I think you're going to see some of your own tendencies and traits in this material just because, like I said last week, we all find ourselves fighting to sort through more information. And you know, as the information age and social media just converges on our lives with whether we like it or not, it's, it's something that we've never had to deal with as a species. You know, I, I joked last week uh, about, you know, when I was seven, eight, nine years old growing up, I would literally get on my bike in the morning, living out in the country with my baseball bat, baseball glove, slingshot, and my wife wouldn't see me until it was dark. Like we were just done. That's, that's what you did. There, you know, no TVs. I mean, there were TVs, like three channels, uh, no internet, no computers, no video games, like none of that existed. Flash forward one generation and kids are going up with an iPhone in their hand. And just the amount of information, distraction and things around us is so incredibly daunting that we all have some form of ADHD and some of it is paralyzing. You know, it's a huge reason why there's so much more anxiety and diagnosable ADHD and so forth. We're all, and it's going to just get worse. I mean, because it's going to just be more and more instant, more and more available. So I want you guys to consider that. And the reason I chose this particular piece of work to review is because this is one of the leading experts, psychologists on ADHD in the world. He is, it's just phenomenal. The, uh, the link I have here and you guys can just look him up. I mean, you can see right there what just by searching his name, that particular lecture in the center bottom row is what I'm going to review particularly today. So you could just search his name on YouTube and find this. It's only like 13 minutes long. And so he just, it's just a, a torrent of information. But it's not just to say, you know, woe is us. We have this problem. And, and so therefore, you know, we have to work harder it's some amazing stuff that I think you guys are going to enjoy. So first of all, his premise is the fact that, you know, you can divide up the functions of the brain 
And even as we conceptually think of what we do is, you know, we have knowledge, we seek knowledge, we apply knowledge, you know, that's the content in our brain, but then we have to do something with it. You know, there, there is a time then to simply perform. And, and so his premise was, you know, start with that as a construct and, you know, just for executive function. And then as he's talking about people who have, first of all, he, he, he carefully doesn't just call it, uh, you know, ADHD as in attention, it's intention deficit disorder. In other words, we all have these intentions to get all this work done, to do all these things. And yet some of us just fail to do this. So he says, you can know stuff and not do stuff. You know, that's the serious problem. You know what to do, but you can't do it. And I just wonder, you know, we won't necessarily do a show of hands, but, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients I've worked with over the years, thousands, you know, probably, you know, anytime somebody has uttered those words, like, I just can't, like, why can't I do it? I'm so frustrated. I binged or, you know, I, I lost weight, but then I gained it back. You know, where, what is the problem with me? And we always think about motivation and discipline and so forth. And this is where I have, and this is where, you know, my apologies are certainly due. You know, I've said, you, you've got to internalize it more. You've got to want it at a deeper level. And, and we talked last week about moralizing those decisions. It has, it has to mean so much to us that it's a personal, deeply emotional value. And that's incredibly true. You know, that's, that's almost the highway that you have to be going down. But just like, uh, you know, he's discussing here, the intent or the performance versus the intent, you could be heading down that highway, but then we kind of veer off the road. We keep veering off the road. And, and that's where our performance comes in. So one of the things is that all interventions must be out at the place in that environment where you're not doing what you know. This is what's amazing to me. Uh, I, I, I don't want you to see this as a dichotomy. When, when I say I owe people an apology, it's not because I was wrong. You still need to make those goals and those things that you really want to change about yourself in intrinsic motivation. My, my, my clients, my life transformation clients who moved here to Evansville, this was our first week of training together every morning. I'm, I'm getting up at five in the morning to meet with him. You know, I asked him this morning after a workout, how his diet was, he, he messaged me and said something about his diet was perfect. He goes, Oh no, I, 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 it, it was started out that way, but I had an extra granola bar. I said, well, man, if you had an extra granola bar, then you know, to me, that still qualifies as perfect because I'm all about those, those boundaries that we're creating in that moralistic sense. We've agreed together as training partners and me as his coach, him as my life transformation, immersion project client, you know, no sugar, no processed food, you know, nothing, nothing that couldn't be considered whole food. And I said, you know, you're sticking to that. You know, a, a tiny little fluctuation in, in calories like that is not consequential to me whatsoever. So that's an intrinsic value that I'm describing to him. But here is what uh, I think it was Russell, Dr. Russell, uh, you know, said about making our executive function, this neocortex part of our brain, external. When, when somebody has a problem with, with intent or performance, not knowledge, then just more information doesn't help. And I think that's been part of our 
uh, I wouldn't say mistake, but you know, us as a company, we're all about the knowledge. I mean, how many coaches do you hear who have come after me, you know, 20, 25 years ago, who want to say, we're all about the science, everything we do is evidence-based, come see me as a coach, come see my company, we're science, science, science. Well, nobody gives a shit about, you know, more knowledge if we can't help them actually do it. And, and so that's where the performance comes in. So again, this, this psychologist says, you know, more, more knowledge doesn't do anything for you. You've got to make sure you externalize for people who have this difficulty, the things that they need to do. So you start thinking of it as a motivational problem, as I said, but the only way, to, the only thing to deal with with executive deficits is to engineer the environment around us. All treatment must be out there. And I want to tell you guys a little bit of a story because everybody in my family has ADHD or not everybody, but it runs through my family a lot. You know, my nieces and nephews, everybody's on Ritalin by the time they're, you know, five, six years old. I am so grateful that shit did not exist when I was a kid because being hyperactive is a gift. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's painful. My 18 year old daughter is, uh, is scheduled for an evaluation because, you know, she's, she's, I wouldn't say tired. She's, she's frustrated by that kind of inability as the psychologist is talking about to really control everything. And she's a perfectionist like me, you know, 4.0 student, full ride scholarships. Like, you know, she, it's not that she can't do it, but it's because she just feels like there's this struggle to do it. And so, my entire life, I have constructed, without even realizing it, to do exactly what this psychologist said. The only way I have survived is to externalize all of my processes to achieve something, to, to achieve a goal, to gain any kind of success. Um, you know, I was telling my wife as I was sharing this information, and, and I'm sitting here this morning like furiously typing out a paper that I have to turn in by four o'clock Friday. That's, that's when my current professor has our homework due. And I said, you know, you know, gee, shocking that I have, you know, two doctorates and four master's degrees because I love to read. I'll say I love to read. I love to write. But you know how difficult it is for me to sit down and read a book? Like it's very, it's, it's a challenge because I, I'll sit down and read and then I'll be like, oh, wait, I got to go do a little laundry. I'll sit back down to read. Oh shit, I forgot to do this. And I come back to this. And pretty soon it's down to like, you know, I sit down for the fifth time to read and I'm like, oh, should I go dust that shelf over there? Like all of these innocuous, stupid ass things. And, and, and again, I think that's not just somebody with ADHD. I think that's to a large degree, most of us now, just because of the world we live in. But, but guess, guess what I did in order to combat that and align my goals for, you know, my, my personality traits, curiosity, love of learning. I've stayed in college since I was 17 years old. I've never stopped. Why am I learning what I'm learning? Because I have that paper due at four o'clock today. Why will I read 200 more pages this week? Because I have another paper due next Friday at four. I keep myself in that environment of external motivation and external accountability. I have put my executive function, quote, out there. Now I can see it. And that's a big, that's a big part of what this psychologist describes. There's this time distortion that somebody with true clinical ADHD has. But again, I think it's, it's being crowded out of all of us 
with with the world we live in. So the 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 problem with executive deficit is that we have to tighten up accountability, make us more accountable more often to other people with more consequences, artificial as they may be. So any of you who are coaches and, and even clients who are working with some of our coaches, how many times have you guys passed along that word back and forth? You know, I need to hire you because I need some accountability. And and you know, we sometimes we feel embarrassed because that feels like I can't do it on my own. You know, I have to have somebody tell me what to do. But it's so incredibly helpful. It, and that's why as we continue to reimagine our programming as a company and me particularly as a coach, I I've recognized that now in a in a way that I don't think I ever could have 10, 20, or 30 years ago. And so I'm building platforms. Matter of fact, Kevin, our, my co-coach and, and you know, a phenomenal guy, Dr. Brunacini, who's always in the group here, uh, we're building out an app with Dr. Probst's help, of course, in our company, our health psychologist and, and wellness director. And what I'm doing more than ever, even though we've been heading down this direction for many, many years, is to literally just sequence out things so that our clients can have more built-in external accountability. So here's exactly what you do for the first step. Here's what you do on day one. You know, maybe a daily prompt. Did you do this? And, and those are the kind of things that uh, this doctor, I, I want to, I should have memorized his name. I think it was Dr. Russell, but um, you know, that's, that, that's exactly what he's saying. There's this time distortion that we all face. And, and here's how he described it. ADHD or just intention deficit disorder is the diabetes of psychiatry. It's a chronic disorder that must be managed every day to prevent secondary harms that it's going to cause. There is no cure. So think of it like this. Uh, as I mentioned in my post, kind of describing what we're going to talk about today, um, you know, all the self-help books out there, all of the steps, like do this, do this, do this, atomic habits. If you just do it this way, you know, your life will be better and, and you'll succeed at everything. Well, what's critical for him is describing the fact that this is never going to go away. Just like you having diabetes, type one diabetes, and you have to control your blood sugar, you have to take your insulin and metformin and so forth, that you're not looking to cure this. You're just looking to recognize it and say, okay, what are the external structures I have to have in place in order to manage this appropriately? Because I, I certainly have in my life, and that's why I'm talking to my daughter. You know, she part of her allure to get this evaluation is, you know, she said, "Oh my gosh, you know, half my friends are on Vivance or Provigil or Adderall and blah blah blah, and they all like it." And you know, she's 18 years old. I said, "Look, I'll, you know, if, if you just want the fucking drug, I'll get you the drug." You know, you, you know, because you're gonna you're gonna do. I I know you're a little mini me, like you're curious and you're you're going to you're you're not gonna rest. You're not gonna feel settled until you at least try it. But I don't want you to fry your brain and fry your nervous system on on prescription meth just because you think it's gonna be helpful. There are these cognitive behavioral things to understand that will make it better. You know, that's what I've had to do my entire life without those types of medications. Um, so, so let's look at, you know, managing this from a behavioral perspective. And I have to say, as this psychologist, you know, world authority on ADHD has said, if that is a true disorder, I mean, if, if you have the neurochemistry that warrants, you know, some form of pharmacological intervention, he said, do it, 
There is, there is not one single thing in psychology or psychiatry that's more treatable than this. He said of anybody who has the, the clinical need for this, it's, it's, it's like 90% effective, a pharmacological treatment with one of those meds I just mentioned or, or Ritalin. There's nothing even close to that in any other mental uh, challenge, you know, psychological personality trait. So, so you know, I have to concur, although as I advised my daughter, I, I would certainly love that to be a last resort because, you know, I know how confining those things are. I've taken Adderall and I, I mean, you know, I know what it's like. Yes, I feel more focused, but I'm also clenching my jaw, my heart rate's 25% higher all day. I, I, you know, I can't sleep till six o'clock the next morning. And doctors have said, well, you'll get used to that. Just, you got to stay on it for two or three weeks. I'm like, you really want me to get used to this? Like if, if I'm physiologically doing this to my body every day and I'm quote, getting used to it, holy hell, like what is that literally going to do to my, my, you know, my, my heart, my, my, you know, who knows, you know, brain, et cetera. You know, you're, you obviously are getting some kind of hypertensive response. So as, as our, our researcher today described, if you need it, try it, do it. I would just like to see a lot of people in the middle on those margins say, well, let's try using some behavioral techniques first. So, so here's what he said. If you're going to use a cognitive behavioral course of action, you know, externalize the important information, you know, externalize the, 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 uh, you know, the key points. And as he said, externalize time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some of these in a little bit. Uh, one at a time. I just wanted you guys to see this slide all in one place. Again, giving credit where it's due. I wanted to not just you know quote him, but show you some of his work. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna break it down here a little bit in some of these next slides. So how do you ex externalize things? He said you have to be okay using cues, signs, charts, reminders, to do lists. Anything that you want to get done has to be in your visual field. And as a business owner and an employer and somebody who coaches people who are, are, are goal attainment focused, this is something I've talked about for decades. You know, I have tried every single organizing system you can possibly have. And the only thing that works is a piece of paper in front of my face. That's it. I mean, I, you know, I, I've had fancy binders, do this, do this, file folders, you know, elaborately on, you know, decorating my, my, uh, my laptop, all of these things. And, and, software. The only thing that will ever get done in my day is if it's on a piece of paper, I can check off. So I have a stack of note cards. I actually use old business cards that aren't you know needed anymore. And I just flip them over and use a Sharpie on the back. You'll see them all over my desk. You'll see them sitting on, there's one sitting on top of my laptop across the room over here with a note on what I have to do tonight. Because I don't even want to put it on my calendar or, or in a note in my pocket, I literally put it on a piece of paper and it's stuck to my keyboard. So when I close that and take it home and I open it back up tonight, there it is, do this. That's what he's talking about. Somebody who has these distortions of time and we can't necessarily use our, our great you know, evolutionary neocortex to organize everything perfectly. Uh, same thing about that, those time distortions, you know, those real, those real time checks, clocks, timers, you know, when's the last time you have set maybe a timer or a rule that, okay, after 45 minutes of sitting in front of my computer, I'm going to make sure I get up and go to the bathroom, get a drink of water, maybe walk for five minutes and come down or, you know, something else because just to make sure you're staying on task for something or, 
uh, as I have learned to do with even even some of my my assignments and things like that, think you know personal things, not not just my actual work schedule of appointments and so forth. I will put them on my calendar. I have to do this at nine o'clock Friday morning, and I have to get this done here. I have to make sure I'm in bed by by nine thirty or something so I can read thirty pages of my assignment this week because I I can't wait till Friday morning and then have 200 pages to read and, and pages to write, I literally have to break them up into these chunks. And it's so easy to just say, well, I'll read every night. That's my habit. It's way better if it's on my calendar. You know, if I constantly get that reminder, I look at my phone, look what I have to do today. And I see that every single day. Oh, 9.30 PM, make sure you're in bed reading, you know, your, your, your work. So those things are, are very, very necessary for people who struggle. Uh, the immediacy of it. Motivation has to be external, dependent of the environment, consequences in the now. And, and, and he used this great example because a lot of people will say, well, I, I have a hard time focusing or I have a hard time getting some things done, or, or maybe, maybe we'll generalize and say all things. But then there are some things we don't. Like, you know, my daughter, for example, can sit there and, and work on a piece of art for 12 hours straight. She can pull an all-nighter doing that. And as this psychologist explains, that's because there's instant reward. It's, it's like a kid playing a video game. You know, it's, it's rapid fire. It's all right there. There's dopamine just, just washing your brain. You're, you're getting the reward from that. There are consequences, you know, if you don't do well or something, like if she doesn't get that homework assignment done. But in the day-to-day -day where there are no consequences, there's an issue. So we have to artificially set those up. So in, in terms of something like body fat loss or training, um, you know, this, this again helped me with, by having my, my new client here as a training partner. I have to be here by 545 every morning now. That's accountability. I, you know, I used to be able to say, well, if I skip my workout today, I'll just do it tomorrow. Or, you know, oh, okay, so I, I had those cookies or whatever, you know, I'll just, you know, just make it fit my macros. I'll take it from somewhere else. But now I have this, this reciprocal relationship with a person that I'm holding myself accountable to and with. We're doing it together. So just like we talked about last week, now I've moralized it, but I've also set up these external accountability measures. So I, I wonder, you know, a lot of people like to use us coaches for that. Like, well, even if I said, you know, I don't need to see your, your, your meal plan every single day. Um, you know, I trust you. It's all good. I've had some clients say, look, I got to send it to you. I have to, I, I need that accountability. And, and I get that. And I, I think, you know, that can be even done with other people in our lives. Like, like what, a, you know, I did this with my wife. As I said, this past Monday, I'm going into this mock contest prep. You know, I retired from the stage 15, 16 years ago and, and it was such a freedom, such a relief. Like I, I was pursuing all that stuff for fun, but now it was actually freeing and fun to not do it, to be able to focus my attention on something else. And over the course of that time, I've still had bodybuilding or body composition performance type goals, but it's always just been for me, you know, internal motivation. After the span I've had just kind of away from the sport, I can't tell you how fun it was to tell my wife, Starting Monday, I will not be eating this, 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 and this is what I'm doing, and this is why, you know, please support me in this. And 
so it's it's a big deal now. I, I have somebody that I almost created like my own little personal God there. Like now, now I have this omnipotent character called Tracy Klumzeski that I know, you know, she's looking over my shoulder. She sees me in the kitchen, you know, grabbing a, a brownie. You know, I'm going to get a look. You know, I know I'm going to be acting contrary to what I even told my spouse I was committing to. And that, again, is a moralization and it's an accountability step. So you guys don't even need your coaches to do that. You can set that up with other people where you're making that deal with yourself and other people around you. So here's here's another thing that I thought was incredibly helpful uh, because we know, uh, I remember when Dr. Corey Probst and I were, were speaking in Australia together several years ago and she was given a lecture and she talked about how willpower is fatigable. And, and all of those coaches, Lane Norton, other people, Paul Ravella have quoted her for years after that because it, it's such a profound but little known truth in that, and I talked about bandwidth, you know, when I, I mentioned earlier this week in our normal flexible daily Institute, daily live chats that, uh, um, you know, a, a few people this week that have been talking to me about motivation and I've kind of dropped that bomb on them saying, well, maybe you just don't want it enough. And there's some truth to that because if, if we're willing to moralize a goal and fit it into our lives, you know, if we're not executing, you really do have to ask yourself that question. Is this the right time? Do I want it enough? I have another client who started with me local, you know, saw my sign on our new, you know, or new sign on our building and all this and wanted to work. And, you know, she's, she fought me every step of the way. She's like fighting everything. She's not wanting to, to track macros. Then she wasn't, you know, she was overeating, 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 wasn't sick of the plan and kept asking, you know, what can we do? What can we do? And she wants that next thing, like what's going to make this easier or better for me. But every single thing that I gave her that could help, she just wasn't willing to do. So I, I asked her, are you sure this is just the right time? Because you seem to not have the, the mental bandwidth. You don't seem to have the time of the day to even focus on the simplest thing. You haven't gone to the grocery store. You haven't gotten the food you need. You're not, you're not willing to not go out to eat every day. You're not willing to work out. You're not willing to do these things. You're just not fitting it into your life as a priority. So you must not, quote, want it enough. But this is what this psychologist said, and especially with people who are sorting through information all day, information overload, knowledge overload, just stimuli coming at us left and right, our own attention span and our ability to exert willpower is fatigable. So we have to find ways to keep that tank full. And, and that's why he, he recognizes, first of all, that you need to do things in these smaller chunks, you know, just like I mentioned with my own schoolwork, you know, I need to read 30 pages a night, not 200 pages on Thursday night. I need to do these things. Uh, when I, when I get into a point where I realize, okay, man, I've been sitting in my, you know, in front of my computer for this long, I need to do something else. Like that's that self-check. I've seen other people literally set a timer. And he said for kids, for example, uh, he uses almost a 10-3 rule. Like you've got to do, like you can, you can do something for 10 minutes and then you need a three minute break. Just, just chill out, close your eyes, take a breath, do something just to completely divert your attention. 
and then get back at it. He said, that's an incredibly lesson, incredibly important lesson to learn and to start practicing. But, uh, you know, again, it does come down to you externalizing these things and making sure that you are controlling it yourself. He also said, by the way, the, the greatest thing for this is exercise. I don't think I need to tell you guys that. But um, when, when you're replenishing this, this, this pool, this, this, you know, attention need, it's, it's important to know that it's, it's not just the time you're spending, but, but the physical health of your body. So on the previous slide, you may have read, you know, him saying like, you know, don't use alcohol, don't do this, don't do that. Keep your mind as, as alert and active and healthy as you can. You know, here, one of his biggest uh, pieces of advice is to stay physically active because that the oxygenation of your brain, the health and all that, like I said, I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. Um, let me, let me move into just, just kind of, as he would say, as a bit of a summary, if, if we want to apply this to our weight loss goals, to our ability to stick to a goal, to our ability to say, man, I really do want that internal change. I want this to be so internalized that it's no longer even a temptation to me. Remember, first of all, that it's, it's management, it's not cure. You know, it's, it's how can I make sure I'm addressing this? I have to pay some attention to it every day. I have to structure my environment in a way that's helpful. I have to admit that I have these kind of issues that, that you know, time distortion is a big deal for me. Um, I, I have to make sure I, I, you know, create those rewards and consequences. Typically, you know, as he even said, he made a big deal in his presentation that we have to elicit a support structure. We need other people who are aware and who will help us with these things. And, you know, it's not that, again, you have to feel like you can't do something on your own, but this is a struggle we're going to increasingly have. And, and I think it's why, you know, as I've, as I've talked to people, you guys who, who have been with me for a while, you've heard me say this many, many, many times, that I've seen this massive shift in the last 20 or 30 years in what I used to be able to sit down with a client and, and process as a methodology. Here's what we're going to do. You know, this is your first step. This is how we're going to approach the first week. Everything I used to do 25 and 30 years ago does not work today. It just doesn't. And I've, I've talked about the changes in culture and so forth and, you know, just, just how we're a little bit more dependent on devices and so forth. And so we're used to having quick answers. The things I used to expect people to take a week to kind of sort out and, and be patient and understand the process. Now, everybody's like, now, now, now I got to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as you, you know, sometimes you, you help a client get started the very first day, a lot of us coaches get a barrage of 10, 12 email, of just frustration and, and anger. And, and it's like, it's the first freaking day. Like, like just chill out, just, you know, go through the process. Let's, let's take our time and get this done. And now I see a huge part of what the psychologist is describing. It's, it's not just the devices and the culture we're around, but our attention spans are so taxed it's not even just, you know, it, some I'm sure, it's, but it's not just the expectations and what we're used to. It's that we are so mentally exhausted trying to just keep up with the information we're presented every day that a new big life type change, as we're describing, is just monumental. It's it, We don't have the time to do it anymore. 
And so I think what I've described here today creates a structure in a bridge that just helps us in an almost evolutionary sense, handle our environment better. Like I said, this is not a fix. It's a matter of saying, okay, with everything out there that's happening, I have to be able to do these things. And, and to my own point, I will add, we do have to learn to just say no to other things. If I'm working on my own personal health and I've made that a big goal, what are some other things that I may have this summer that I just need to put on hold? You know, that I'm just saying, man, this is, this is kind of life or death for me. I want to spend three or four months doing this and work on my health, create these new health habits. I want to become a different person at my core, physically and mentally. And so I need to frame that out with some boundaries. I need to put some time elements on that. And, and I will say, you know, if, if you can do that, because it's very difficult for most of us just to say no, you know, it can be very helpful. It's one of the things I've had to do being in my, my thesis semester for this particular program I'm in. You know, this, this summer is just kind of a wash. Like I've got guardrails around, you know, from now until the end of July. Some things are just not going to happen because I need to spend the time doing that. And you may not think that you have to do that with your health and fitness and nutrition, but it can be absolutely paramount because it takes so much bandwidth just to process the, the, the mental willpower and those little habits that we need to maintain, you know, the, the meal prep and so forth. So what I would like to do now is just kind of open it up to some discussion, um, see what you guys think, and, and we'll go from there. Dan, you're always first. Just, just reach for that unmute button automatically. I can always okay, rely on yeah, you. I was reaching for awesome. it. Uh, excellent presentation. Uh, you know what? Uh, for a while, I thought I was crazy last couple of weeks, maybe a month or so, but now I see, because I look, one of the things you said really caught me, like for me, the, uh, the exercise, the diet, uh, those, those commitments, that, that's been really easy, but transitioning into my third career, fitness and nutrition coaching has not been so easy, and I'm thinking something's got, wait a second, something's wrong, you're like two different people, you're getting distracted from your new career, but on the other hand, you could be laser focused on your competition coming up this fall. So that was good. That was that that kind of lightened my my uh, load a little bit. And then what I took from that create that environment uh, that allows external consequences that are immediate would be very useful for me. So. Similar to your example, uh, every, every hour during a certain period, I'm thinking, you know, spend 20 minutes working on your new business, then walk away, then go garden, then go shopping, then do your food prep, then go back and do 20 minutes again. So I got some real good strategies coming out of that that I think could help uh, in regards to my work uh, behavior as opposed to my um, exercise and nutrition behavior. Good stuff, Dan. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And I'm also thinking now I can understand when I start coaching people, uh, what I might not, what I might need to do for them. Like one of the things you said earlier on in, in, uh, uh contest prep is, uh, 
uh, or in the Apex program, you know, when you're starting a new fitness business, you've got more time to give better service, right? Because you don't have a lot of customers yet. So my daughter actually beat me to the punch. Uh, she, without any, without any training, except what I've been teaching her, based on what you've been teaching me, she started her own nutrition coaching business as well. Her first client, in the family. can you imagine it? Her client lost 12 and a half pounds in the first month, is thrilled. And Danielle said, since I have so much time, I told her at any time you feeling difficulty staying on track, just text me or email me or text me or call me. So the woman texts her all the time. She says, you know, I'm free because, you know, the pandemic, she has pandemic unemployment. Uh, you know, her job is gone, I mean. Uh, so she was able to give her that instant feedback, instant feedback, instant feedback. So she wanted to lose 20 pounds in four months for a wedding. One month, 12 and a half pounds, she's going to blow that goal away because of what you just said. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. so well, you know, well, to, to a, you know, kind of a coaching point and an expectation for clients you know, that, that is unsustainable. You know, if, yeah. if you're, when your daughter has a hundred clients, she's not going to be able to field text 24 hours a day. Sure. But, but again, while she's here to, to give that special attention and that's going to help her, you know, grow her business. But it's why Kevin and I, it's why Kevin's coming to town. We're building out our new flexible dieting Institute app. And, mm -hmm. and we want things like that. Like we want to be able to send quick messages and not automate it. Like that's one of the things I've always hated about that. Like, you know, we already send a daily video to our clients, stuff like that. And it's just so easy. It's not, I mean, everybody knows it's just, it's content. Uh, but for me to be just randomly on a Thursday afternoon, have a thought and be able to just have it in this program, in this app that I shoot it out to all my clients, you know, Hey guys, blah, 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 blah. And then maybe that creates a little discussion thread or something. And then, you know, it's just like there's that special attention and that extra touch that I think everybody wants. And, and one of my particular clients who is very frustrated with me right now, and we're, 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 we're talking about breaking up. This is, you know, she's, she's either going to fire me or I'm going to fire her. Um, but, you know, a great woman. I love her. She loves me. We have this, you know, it's, just, it's been a great relationship as a client and a coach but she's really struggling and it has nothing to do with what she knows. Like we talked about, she is a coach. She, you know, and she knows how to do this. Right. She's, she can't get it done right now. So I'm going through these things in her life, like what's happening. And she said, well, what would be great is if you could just reach out to me more frequently. And, you know, I, wouldn't we all love that? Like, I would love for my accountant to call me every day, see how I'm doing. I'd love for my lawyer to call me every day. I'd love for my dentist to call me this week and see how my teeth feel, you know, but we just can't. We don't have that kind of time. So as people pursuing these goals, we have to include a broader support structure. That's what this psychologist is talking about. You can't, you can't put it all on the shoulders of one person, but man, that's a good exercise. Like use that person, but who else can you also add to that circle of support? Yeah. And it seems to me as if you little by little would teach yourself the new behaviors by having those accountabilities and feedback loops. Absolutely. Uh, and the other thing that uh, you reminded me of something I read from Marshall Goldsmith, what got you here will get you there. And he's the executive. He's mm -hmm. a coach of the CEOs. I mean, CEOs, that's it. You know, uh, so this one CEO was ha lives here in New York City. He's having difficulty when guests would come into town and they would take them around Manhattan, 
show him around, he'd get distracted. He'd want to go to work. He'd want to start doing this. So Marshall said to him, set your alarm every 30 seconds, a silent alarm, just a vibrate while you're with these people from out of town as a reminder that you should be focused on them not trying to get back to work. So even at that level, some people need feedback, you know, in systems. So it's making me feel much better about, uh, you know, what it is that's getting in the way and what to do to fix it. Well, no, that's another thing that I got out of that. You don't fix it, you manage it. Yeah, there you go. That was good. Well, so here's what you made me think of when you mentioned the Apex Coaching Program is I I do talk about block scheduling with people and and putting things on the schedule. One of my newest Apex coaches this week sent me his schedule and it was all very kind of micro layered. So it was like every single day, 30 minutes doing this, every single day, an hour of this. And I said, you know, that's not, I mean, that's not necessarily this kind of externalization I'm talking about because, you know, if you just had a solid two hours a week of creative thinking for your business, like think out of the box, get away from your office, go, go sit in an empty bar in the middle of the afternoon with nothing else to distract you except thinking about this. Mm -hmm. That's way better than 30 minutes every day in your office. Like you and so just like you said, about 20 minutes doing this, then 20 minutes that, 20 minutes this, like you could even divide it up into days and just say Thursday mornings, I really focus on this. I don't even open up any browsers. Like I close everything else except this. And that's that can be way more important as that externalizing of our goals, you know, for fitness and otherwise. Yeah. Now, you know, you may remember on Wednesday, you noticed I told you I was at my sister-in-law's house remodeling uh, uh her house on the bay and the reason i'm doing it is because we're having my son's wedding shower there this summer and uh you know i could save her a ton of money doing it myself rather than hire a contractor but i i had decided i'll just do that every wednesday that's Mm -hmm. it i mean i've got six weeks i'll be done in no you know in time but it's interesting that concept can apply to so many different things that's awesome and that's that's the value of extrapolating it into fitness and nutrition. Yeah. Because again, we think of these things as just normal daily habits and how to succeed at life, how to how to be more organized. But then we think our nutrition is different. Like this is just eating. Like I can handle this. And so we don't add these layers of structure that that would really help. Like it's totally necessary. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, and like you said, it, I think you said on on Wednesday, uh, it's simple but not easy. And I think that's a good way to look at it. You know, even if the CEOs of Fortune 500 struggle with it, we should feel okay about struggling with it as well. Yeah, you know? the, the, the hardest easy thing you'll ever do or the easiest hard thing you'll ever do. You <laughs> take your pick. It's not, you know, it, it takes some focus, but once you get it there, it's it's yeah. done. Yeah. Good stuff, Dan. Anybody else have any uh, questions or comments? See, we got Michelle and I'm, I'm guessing Justina there. Tiffany. Tiffany probably can't talk. I think she's working too many hours now. Go ahead, Kevin. If you guys don't, Tiffany, I'll let you go. Um, this, will, this will be my afternoon. I'm going to share this with Andrea because if there's – if, if a strength that's developed when I failed out of undergrad, what it would be time management and how I 
structure and just my processes, my, you know, just, uh, just my overall thinking process has only uh, excelled and expanded over the years, especially with school and my climbing the ladder there. And it's only further strengthened and to see how I, I need to be cautious how much I share regarding my wife, but, you know, to see how we're, see areas where she has struggled is the complete opposite and just a clusterfuck, but um, executive functioning is a dysfunction for her. Mm-hmm. And that's something that her and I have probably struggled the most as a, within our marriage, but it's been something, especially since she's become a clinician and independent, it's become much more pronounced and worse, worse than over the years that she needs structure. She needs that externalization. Um, and we, you know, she started CBT and, you know, taking medication to help manage as well. But um, it's a lot of, a lot of this has been quite fascinating to, it's been reinforcing to me, but it's quite fascinating that I, I hope that will be something she'll be interested to learn more, especially with the YouTube link you shared. I want to, I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm, I really want to learn that, more about that, it. That's much, that's powerful. Probably. Yeah. Definitely watch that. Don't, don't play this for her. Just play that 13 minute video. That's, it's really, really good. Well, we'll have a lot to talk about next week then. Yeah. Good stuff. Tiffany, you going to jump in there now? Good to see you. Hello. So um, I'm a part of the American Chemical Society and the ACS published a study um, regarding the chemicals in your brain, da-da-da, dopamine, serotonin, X, Y, Z. And one of the research studies was that you can only pay attention, an adult over the age of 25 can only pay attention for 20 minutes at a time. So the argument was when you're sitting in a class for an hour and 15 minutes on a Tuesday, Thursday schedule, that how much does a student actually retain? So I sat there for a second and I read through the article because I was studying at the time. And I was like, hmm, I was like, maybe every 20 minutes I should get up and like walk around and then come back to this, which is a really awkward thing to do at the library because think people just think you have to pee constantly. Hmm. But uh, besides the point, so then it seemed like, I don't know, maybe it was like sophomore, junior year of college, they came out with fidget spinners. Yes. Right? And I was like, what in the world? Like you see all these kids selling them for five, six dollars each. I'm like, this is insane how much they sell for. And they came out with little cubes that had bubble wrap, unlimited bubble wrap. You could pop in all this stuff. And I was like, that's a really interesting concept because in a way, if you used it correctly and you didn't just like throw it at your sister, um, theoretically speaking, you could use that as like a mental jogger. So instead of me getting up and physically moving, I could almost go from the chapter I was reading to my whatever it is, your distraction or your fidget spinner to stay localized so you're not physically moving because you're sitting in class you can't move but it's you know you're gonna probably miss something anyways besides the point but it was really interesting to me like the uh monopoly of like fidget spinners and these attention deficit like i don't want to say like cater catering devices but like it almost aided in this you know this this like you said way of thinking that instead of working through it, it's like, well, here's one more thing to get your kid to shut up in the car. Like, you know, it's just really interesting that that became a monopoly and people made millions of dollars off basically what you're talking about right now. So it's like an easy fix instead of just sending your kid to the doctor while you buy a $5 fidget spinner. 
Mm-hmm. So I just thought of that really quick. I was going to throw that in there. Well, and why that is important, Tiffany, you bring up something that reminds me of Cal Newport's work. You know, he, I don't know if he's a psychologist. I think he teaches at Georgetown or MIT, but he's the author of Deep Work. And, and it wasn't just like a self-help businessy type book. It was extremely popular. It's launched his career, but he's really put a lot of research into this. He's conducting clinical research and what they've shown in functional MRIs and so forth Every time you distract yourself, it takes several minutes to get your brain processes back. So for example, when I am doing work, if I'm you know, working out or I'm prepping my food or I'm just kind of thinking about what I'm going to do with my nutrition that day or something, if I constantly like a squirrel, just keep you know, diverting my attention somewhere else, cerebrally, you know, where I'm, I'm actually disengaging looking at something else, then coming back, that's awful. You know, that's not what we're talking about. So something like what that fidget spinner does is it gives your cerebellum, your, your brainstem, something to do. It's like white noise. It's like that mechanical movement of like tapping your foot. It's just like a rhythm type thing that allows you to stay focused. So I, I just thought it was important to kind of differentiate those two things. We're, we're not talking about constantly getting up and doing something like, oh, every, you know, hey, if Joe says I should set my alarm for every hour to go do something, maybe I'll do it every five minutes. Like, no, 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 you know, do, do your stuff, but just, you know, make sure that you're, you're still staying very, very engaged. And, and what you just said there, I think was really, really cool. So any, anybody else, any, uh, any questions about this stuff, applying a little, I want to make sure everybody knows that this, you know, my, my whole intent for this was to apply it to our nutrition and weight loss and fitness quests, because, you know, that's that it's, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's that thing that we forget to apply these concepts to. And yet it's exactly why we often fail at them. You know, we're just not willing to, to go through that same kind of work for this goal as we are others.